0: truth seekers are pitted against people who are corrupt or stupid uh, or silly and um who is going to win we don't know
1: welcome to the propaganda report i'm monica perez here with my co-host brad binkley we are truly excited to speak to our guest today He is Professor Emeritus of the Department of Journalism and Communication at Bowling Green State University and of Cal Poly Pomona, and he currently teaches at CSU Channel Islands. His research interests are international communication, national and international news agencies, media imperialism, and our favorite, propaganda. His books include Media Imperialism, Continuity and Change, mainstream media and the Ukraine crisis, which is the book that made me a huge fan, Hollywood and the CIA, which I'm sure Brad's all over, and the most recent work of his, Conflict Propaganda in Syria, Narrative Battles. I actually also have a whole stack of more books than just that from here. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome and thank you for being here, Professor Oliver Boyd Barrett.
0: Thank you, Monica. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you, Brad.
1: So I we're just here for an hour and I could literally spend hours on each of your books. They're just so dense. And actually, one of those things you have to some of the older stuff is I have to read the same sentence three times. I absolutely adored the Ukraine book because practically no. I mean, you're the only one. I couldn't believe that you could keep your job and write what was what in my research. I found all that like that's not hidden. Any Journalist who really wants to know the truth can find that information, and um, and so I think the most valuable way for us to pick your brain is to try to get at those bigger picture questions, such as why you know let's just hit that like why is it that that information's out there? I found it, you've written about it, and the the smartest guys in the room, from New York Times to the Wall Street Journal, left to right completely sing the same tune and ignore a lot of those facts. What's going on?
0: Well, I think the original explanation provided by Noam Chomsky and Edward Herman back in the late 1980s in their book, Manufacturing Consent, they kind of had their finger on most of the pulse in terms of the main factors that help us to explain this uh, strange inability of a supposedly independent free press uh, to actually uh, report uh, vital information uh, that is central to being able to understand some of the most important events uh, of of, of world history. What were those uh, factors that they talked about in their book in, uh, in, I'm gonna say 1989. I know that it was the late 1980s. the, the first had to do with the fact that uh, big media, uh, as we very well know, uh, not only are quite large business enterprises in themselves, but mostly are also cogs in even larger uh, corporate machines. And although uh, Herman and Chomsky, what, they didn't talk about this back then because it wasn't a factor back then, but today it's not merely a question of, uh, 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 so we have CNN, and we know that CNN is owned by uh, Time Warner, which is a huge uh, uh, corporation, a media corporation. But then now, you know, the owner of uh, t- Time Warner for the last few years has been at and you know, the godmother um, of, uh, of U.S. telephony. So um, now that, as though that wasn't bad enough. Uh, We we could at at least until fairly recently uh, take some uh, solace in the fact that uh, many of these media corporations are quoted or or cited on the the stock exchange. Uh, The great thing about stock exchanges is about perhaps the only uh, significant positive that I have to say about capitalism right at the moment uh, is that stock exchanges do impose a certain discipline uh, for uh, corporations to be transparent. Uh, as to what, what 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 they're doing, what their basic business models are, and uh, what kind of problems they envisage for the future, and so on, because stock exchanges exist uh, for the benefit, at least uh, theoretically, for the benefit of uh, shareholders. Uh, but now, uh, increasingly, we find that the real power uh, is, lies way beyond the stock market. The real power lies in these gigantic hedge funds. And these hedge funds, like for example, BlackRock is a particularly well-known and very, very large one. Uh, These hedge funds uh, are not, they're not listed on stock exchanges. Um, The the very last thing, the very last place they want to go for funds are the stock exchanges. What are these hedge funds? They're conglomerates, uh, agglomerations of uh, financiers of one stripe uh, or, or another, or of people who manage very, very large amounts of money for, for, for other people. And uh, they get together and they make decisions about uh, how they're going to use the money that they've got access to, they've got control over. And those decisions are essentially private. We have very, very little insight into, um, into what goes on in these hedge funds and the reasons for them. And increasingly, the world of media uh, is a world, is a playground. Uh, for hedge funds. And the the basic uh, outcome is a further deterioration of the quality of the news media that we have here in the United States and in many other countries. Uh, And mainly hedge funds are concerned about the bottom line. Uh, They don't care about public good. They don't care about public service. And um, they will remove uh, anything that doesn't seem to be contributing to uh, not just the bottom line in general but the bottom line by in the next quarter this is extremely short-term thinking that drives the world of finance in general but the world of uh, the uh, hedge funds uh, in 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 particular so going back to Herman and Chomsky there that's your first factor uh, the, the uh, news media of this stripe are not in business to tell you the truth they're in they're in business to tell you what is actually going to generate more profit uh, and uh, generating profit in a capitalist system or an imperialistic capitalist uh, system uh, does not involve uh, the disclosure of embarrassing or difficult or contrary uh, information or viewpoints or perspectives. Herman and Chersky had a number of other factors that they considered in their wonderful propaganda model that they developed back in, 19, uh, in, the, in the late 1980s. They talked about the role of advertising um, uh, being very central to the business models of uh, many mainstream media. That is, that continues to be the case. In fact, e- uh, the, the internet increasingly is, uh, uh, is a media universe that is driven by, uh, uh, by advertising, by the sale of advertising, as well as by the sale of meta data about, about us, about the millions of us, and the monetary value that that kind of data uh, gives to the uh, to the to, to the behemoths such as um, uh, uh, Apple and Google and Facebook and uh, and 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 the others. Uh, Herman and Chomsky also talked about uh, the basic model of doing journalism in the United States. Uh, they had a lot to say about that. The couple of most important points for us to consider is the fact that uh, journalism is essentially about relaying information, not not generating new information, although there is some of that, but relaying information from other sources, such as uh, news agencies uh, and uh, public relations um, agencies, and then spinning these rather cheap sources of information uh, into sensational, fair that would attract the eyeballs and the and the eardrums of uh, millions of uh, subscribers and, and listeners. Herman and Chomsky, I'll quickly get through the next couple of points. They talked about how journalists have very good reason to fear the power of the sources on which they depended for the information that they distributed. <clears throat> they worried about flack. Powerful sources can do difficult things to people they don't like. And journalists are very, very conscious of that, or more, more, more particularly, they are subconscious of that reality. Uh, and uh, they'll do what they have to do in order to retain, maintain, sustain access to the powerful sources that give the journalists the credibility that they need uh, in order to be able to continue um, to continue their careers. Uh, it's not as though they they can expect much protection from their bosses uh, in these huge media. Should they fall foul of the displeasure of powerful political and corporate actors, by no means. No, it's it's far more likely uh, that if they cause trouble for the for their major sources, they'll be thrown overboard, both by those sources and by their own media. So journalists are very very vulnerable. They're much much more vulnerable. Uh, than I think most of them care to to admit. And I think most of them in the mainstream media just play the game. And increasingly, that's considered to be, uh, that's regarded as the, that's the smart thing to be now, is to be a player uh, who can survive uh, in a really quite nasty and oppressive and narrow uh, spectrum. And that's it. I think there was one other, but I think, We've, yeah. we've done well just covering those four.
1: Yes. And I would love to pull on a couple of those threads there. One, I was, uh, that's funny that you should say that about the hedge funds and particularly mention BlackRock, because just recently there was a big article in the Wall Street Journal about Larry Fink who runs BlackRock and his, um, uh, well, what it said was he controls I had to check the number twice, $10 trillion of assets under management. I mean, if you think about that, that's just a tremendous amount. And I had been wondering how global corporations all got on the same page. And I then had that aha moment where it was this guy. (laughs) And then I further looked into him and he sits on the boards of the World Economic Forum and the Council of Foreign Relations. And the one thing that Wall Street Journal was saying that he's constantly pushing these ESG standards. Um, It's environmental, Binkley was environmental, social, social governance. governance. Yeah. Okay. So, so his face to the world now, and I also, in this, it, your essay in this book talked about the changing role of media over time and how it's been consolidating. So maybe it's changed a little bit um, since that kind of initial foundational stuff by Chomsky. But what, so he's he's pushing these companies to do this. And I'm wondering if, you know, why? He's making it look like he is a, he is putting um, the planet above profits, for example. And it's not, so it doesn't look to me strictly like it's a pull from the consumer to where they're going to buy the most media. It's also an ideological or it seems like ideological, but it's some kind of push down from the top for other goals. So maybe it goes a little deeper than that.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yes. It's good to, uh, uh, get some evidence that it's possible that these are actually human beings uh, at this level of wealth. And, <laughs> oh, I'm uh,
1: not go- I'm- <laughs> we're a long way from me thinking that, that guy's a human being, but okay. Uh,
0: <laughs> uh, but they, uh, e- even to be uh, still today in the, in, in the corporate world, it's not as though you have all of the power. Uh, it is still the case that you have to share that power with others the centers of power in society, uh, including the political and uh, other spheres. And although, yes, the political sphere has been deeply, deeply and ever increasingly corrupted by uh, the corporate world, it is nonetheless the case that politicians from time to time do have to recognize uh, that there are some issues, there are some topics uh, that concern the public good and that uh, can- capitalism, uh, un- unregulated capitalism, simply cannot uh, by its very nature uh, resolve or address. So the corporations have to recognize that uh, although they seem to uh, have nine out of ten of the, uh, of, of the ten balls in the air, uh, there is that one other ball that they still need to demonstrate some respect for and to play with and, uh, and, to, and sometimes to, to compromise with so that would be my explanation for these more positive signs i want occasionally occasion uh, positive signs of rationality that one that one may occasionally uh, discern
1: i am skeptical of the world economic forum actually trying to do these things for any reason other than their they have something going on that i can't read from here so Right. I, and, and it could be that there that it, it is in their interest to create something sustainable. And that's really what they're after. I'm more cynical than that, but that's OK. Uh, but I um, so when. So you talk about having to compromise or there are different factions involved on the one hand. It seems like that because it looks like Hillary and Trump were really running against each other. It looks like Bernie Sanders and Hillary was really running against each other and there were different people in the room. And then you look at the Ukraine crisis and it seems like that stuff is completely above any kind of change from uh, right. of policy from part what party occupies the White House. Do you see different layers of political, of power struggle or how do you see that hierarchy working?
0: Yeah. Uh, okay, so there are all sources of uh, uh, conflict and tension uh, in any society uh, to some extent. Uh, so, some of those major tensions and conflicts are represented in uh, divisions between our two major political parties here in the uh, in the United States. Uh, But I do subscribe to. uh, I think it was Noam Chomsky who uh, who first said that uh, the two political parties. Well, we just have the one party actually uh, that has two branches. Uh, (laughs) It's the corporate party uh, that uh, has uh, the 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 Republican and and the Democratic. Uh, So I I think there is very the extent to which those two uh power blocks in our society are distinguishable from uh, one another it's 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 a it's a very very uh, fuzzy thing there definitely are far more important things going on in the background and in the case of foreign policy uh we just reach back uh to the phrase so helpfully given us by a republican president president eisenhower uh in the last few uh <clears throat> In the, in the in the last few months of his uh, period in office before Kennedy. And um, he talked to about the uh, military industrial complex. Now I know that others since uh, like Ray McGovern have quite rightly chosen to extend that concept to include, it's not just military industrial, it's also um, surveillance, it's uh, academe, it's, uh, various other sectors of society that seem to work alongside this um, amorphous um, mass of uh, war mongering, uh, hybrid war, disinformation. Uh, It's a huge, huge force uh, in the American system. And uh, no one to date has come up with a credible program for truly reducing um reducing this 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 mass uh, of protected special um pompous interest uh that has devastating consequences for many countries around the world sucks up uh, the wealth of the ordinary american uh, people and uh so far so shows signs only of getting bigger and bigger and bigger. This year, we saw, despite the fact that we supposedly have uh, left Afghanistan, uh, nonetheless, uh, Biden chose to pour another few tens of billions of dollars into, um, into the military industrial complex. That is the main thing that's going on in the background that kind of determines pretty much everything else and will kill us, will we, we'll, we'll bring about the end of the world and probably a lot sooner than climate change.
1: So yeah. when, when, as to tie those two ideas together, the two things we were just talking about, the, um, to take this media, it seems like it, the media completely covers for that whole thing the whole fact that the partisan stuff is below this bigger picture stuff and that the media has kind of become more and more monolithic and consolidated through financial ownership and all that. When I observe the the pattern, the change of media over time to where it's really, I would say, completely controlled right now. So I had a terrestrial radio show, which... Was in from a was owned by a family-owned media company, Cox Media. It was in Atlanta. And then um, a couple of years ago, two years ago, almost exactly, it was bought by Apollo, which is a big financial guy. And I was literally fired immediately. <laughs> like I, I was very kind of truthy or whatever. I don't know what they didn't like about me, but I had been there for eight and a half years. And then that was it, like by the end of the month. And I could see personally, like that's the end of that era where there was a place to have any kind of like off the script discourse there in, in the mainstream media regulator. And I noticed like 9-11 was a date like that. I remembered that Parkland shooting on Valentine's Day in 2018 was a big turning point for like Internet kind of censorship. You look at JFK was a um, I'm not sure if it was JFK, but that Operation Mockingbird period after JFK. Right. But it just there are a time i'll look at anything that's about the middle east if it was written before 2001 i'll like think there's a chance that it's got some truth in it but after 2001 like really none so there feels like there are political turning points that create that that shut down the media little by little that doesn't necessarily maybe it does go hand in hand with con, um, yeah. consolidation
0: yeah i think uh, one thing one yes i agree with that uh, the a factor that we shouldn't overlook uh, is the maturation of the internet, uh, particularly uh, around the late 1990s into the beginning of the 21st century. Uh, almost uh, overnight, uh, by hist- historical terms, by historical standards, almost overnight it seems that we we moved from this situation of being dependent on. Uh, major sources of news and information, institutional sources of news and information, the, the main uh, networks, the ABC, CBS, and NBC, and uh, Fox News, and the rest of it, and uh, Wall Street Journal, and um, uh, New York Times, and Washington Post, and so on and so forth. Uh, the, the, we, we seem to have a diversity uh, of sources. They seem to be uh, very well resourced and at least here in the uh, in, in in the United States and um, that was pretty much it so far as our ability to work out what was what's going on in the world today now the internet truly has revolutionized uh, this scenario now instead of being uh, dependent or well, most people were simply dependent on about two or three of these sources that I just mentioned slightly more educated uh, or people with more time on their hands might might have access a rather larger number, um, uh, but they were all of these these kind of institutional sources. Whereas now, as, as you very well know, and it would include yourself, uh, we have this enormous uh, range of what we can call alternative media. Just for um, uh, for the sake of for, for the sake of argument, but it, it is an incredibly wider more, wider range than used to exist of uh, alternative sources, both of information and even more of, of, of opinion. Ha, has this changed the way in which uh, organizations like the Washington Post, New York Times and so on, how, how they operate? Well, probably yes, because they too uh, can peer into uh, in, into this uh, proliferation of uh, potential sources. But the point I wanna make is what now what we are now aware of in a way that we could never have done before say the late 1990s. We now know what it is that the mainstream media are selecting and of course, because that's highly visible, but now we know what it is that they're dismissing, (laughs) what it is that they are ignoring. Now that used to be way more difficult uh, for the ordinary citizen uh, to be able to discern. Now, so perhaps basically we can say this is a good thing uh, that we have this capability now of challenging uh, the mainstream media uh, sources. But at the same time, uh, of course, and rightly so, we are more and more discontented, more and more disagreeing with the choices that the mainstream media uh, are making, more and more unhappy that the mainstream media seems still uh, to lord it over every all other agencies in this information uh, universe and to uh, t- uh, with, with very little justification to try and maintain that they know best. Why do they know best? Yes, to some extent, they are better resourced than any of these smaller competitors, in partic- particularly in the generation of uh, new information. So in this particular instance, I would say, the international news agencies are still incredibly important because instead of just employing maybe 20 or 30 correspondents around the world, which is about as many as uh, any of our single independent mainstream media would, but the news agencies will have 400 or more um, or several hundred more, in some instances, uh, correspondents in different parts of the world. And... Um, uh, uh, it, it, but, that, but that's it. They have the resources. That's four organisations I'm talking about. Basically, it's, it's Reuters, Associated Press, it's um, Agence France Press. It's some, you know, maybe Bloomberg. We can throw in. We can kind of regard CNN and BBC as sort of semi-kind of news agencies. Uh, they're, 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 these are the major guys in town. And we're, they're all based in London and Paris uh, and, uh, and, and, and and New York. Uh, they're thoroughly Western. They're uh, um, they are controlled. They are essentially business operations, although the Associated Press likes to call itself a, 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 a cooperative. And these are the sources of information. These are the people who are selecting the information that they can they want us to consider to be important or to be uh, newsworthy. And they are and they are providing that service not just for the citizens of the countries from which they operate, uh, but for the citizens of the entire for the entire world.
2: And it trickles down, too. We, had, we did some deconstructions of some videos from the Council on Foreign Relations, and they do this on a regular basis. I think they do it twice a month where they have these virtual seminars where they invite local news journalists and locales all around the country, and they tell them how to think and talk about certain news topics. They just put it into their heads, and then you look at your local newspaper, and it sounds exactly like CNN, MSNBC, and it's like it's coming from the ground up when it's clearly not. It's mind-boggling sometimes.
0: Yes. Yes.
2: yes. Yes. I can. You talk we talk about we, narratives too. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. We talk about narratives a lot. And we did a, a deconstruction of somebody, her name was Ajit Mon, talking about narrative warfare. And her emphasis was so much on narrative warfare. It's not about truth. It's not about truth. It's not how you win. It's about meaning, the meaning you could project. Could you talk a little bit about your thoughts on narratives?
0: Well, I th- in the context of the, the Syrian uh, conflict, uh, my, my book is primarily. An attempt to identify the principal characteristics of the major competing narratives about that about that conflict. Um, I'm not going to call it a, a civil war because that itself is part of the ideology of what the of what this conflict is is all about. Is not about Syrians fighting Syrians. There is an element of that, but it's far more about uh, foreign interests uh, foreign interests fighting Syrians. Uh, But but that's, I'm I'm jumping ahead of myself. So we got basically two narratives of this uh, awful, awful uh, conflict since uh, 2011. It doesn't really begin in 2011. Mainstream media want you to think that it begins in 2011, uh, because they want to tell a neat little story about how there was uh, this cute little uh, phenomenon called the Arab Spring. In various uh, capitals around the Middle East, where uh, cute little uh, young people um, who apparently, um, much to everyone's surprise, had amazingly good access to Twitter and Facebook and all the uh, new new social media, which of course is totally rubbish uh, because those social media had hardly any presence uh, in most of these countries at at that time. So the mainstream media, you want to say, so now we have this, it looks like there's some pro democracy. Uh, activists in uh, Syria. So this is the latest manifestation of this this cute little Arab Spring deal. And and from then on, we get the story about how these uh, democracy activists uh, in Syria are brutally, ruthlessly crushed by this evil ogre, uh, Bashar uh, Assad. Um, he looks at anything but an ogre, by the way, which has always been a, a bit of a difficulty He's for the mainstream a media to get their minds around.
1: <laughs> He's a doctor. <laughs>
0: exactly, yes, an, op- <laughs> an ophthalmologist. Yeah, who was uh,
1: trained in <laughs> London. Uh,
0: yes. So, um, uh, so, the, the, so the, the mainstream media tell us about the, uh, the brutal uh, repression of the uh, pro-democracy activists uh, in Syria and uh, how ever so reluctantly uh, other mm. Arab countries, and Western countries, they try to apply gentle pressure uh, to Assad to encourage him to be more reasonable, to be more liberal, to be more like them, uh, uh, but it doesn't work. So uh, then uh, we have to start channeling um, arms into uh, Syria with the help of the CIA, taking arms from the debacle the that has just recently occurred in Libya, where. Um, one of a thriving African country is simply torn apart uh, by, by by NATO for no uh, well, for no uh, real pretext whatsoever, and uh, in the light of that, there are a lot of arms uh, that are available, easily available, and then are, gen- are uh, through CIA channels are directed up into Syria by way of uh, of Turkey. Uh, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia, uh, and one or two other Arab countries. These these countries, as you very well know, are, are beacons of democratic rationality um, <laughs> that, that uh, you know that, that we all <laughs> bow and scrape um, uh, in, in front of. No, of course they're not. Uh, they're, they're they're the most hideous uh, sort of proto um, uh, uh remnants of, of a very ugly history of power and autocracy and patriarchy uh, but these now apparently become the uh, they become the spokespersons, the mouthpieces uh, for, for democracy where or oh, democracy in Syria not in Qatar, <laughs> not in Saudi Arabia not in the United Arab, uh, United Arab Emirates but in but, but in but in Syria. But of course, it is, of course, total rubbish, and that's why uh, I'm speaking in, 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 the, in the way that I am, because uh, I, 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 unless one underlines the absurdity, the stupidity uh, of the lies that we have been told about Syria, uh, then I, 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 I'm not doing my job. And uh, the, the reality is that uh, the, uh, Syria has for decades uh, been the target of the Muslim Brotherhood, of of radical or extremist uh, Islam, uh, seeking as it generally seeks uh, a theocracy, in other words, the very opposite of a uh, uh, of a democracy. It seeks in Syria not 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 a con- um, a multi-confessional state because that's what Syria is. Syria is an um, has been historically and um, a a site of of amazing religious tolerance where all. Uh, sectors of the uh, of, of the major uh, religions in the world have been able to uh, survive and thrive uh, side by side by side without violent conflict, and that includes uh, the Sunni uh, Muslims who constitute a majority of the population uh, in, uh, in, in in Syria. But the majority of Sunnis in Syria are totally okay. And have been totally okay with this multi-confessional character of Syrian uh, of Syrian society, and uh, but of course the the, uh, the the radical Islamists, the Muslim Brotherhood, they want to scrap all of that and impose a extremist form of Sunni Islam, uh, and that's all they care about. When they're shouting for democracy, they're saying what they're really shouting for is give us control. That 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 that's what they're shouting. And the Western press, I think, um, not a, not not so 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 much intentionally, simply misunderstood, culpably misunderstood what it was that they was thought that they were seeing, because not many of them actually saw it, because there were very very few Western journalists on the ground in Syria. There were quite a few at the beginning, but they soon disappeared, quite rightly, because they uh, were uh, targets for all targets for, for for aggression from all manner of uh, different sources in, in, in Syria. Uh, so what did the Western media do when they no longer had journalists on the ground? Well, they started listening to pro-jihadist uh, sources, um, uh, including uh, the White Helmets, including <laughs> Al-Nusra, which is a, an affiliate of uh, al- Al-Qadar, uh, and many of these other uh, groups took their funds uh, according to uh, which month of the which month of the year it was, from Qatar or Saudi Arabia or from, uh, or from the United Arab Emirates or from Holland or from Britain or from, Fra- or from France or from the United States. Um, uh, all of this money was going into uh, support of these dozens and dozens of extremists. Uh, uh, sometimes uh, the United States would try to uh, claim that it was channeling funds only to so-called moderate uh, jihadists. I'm not sure that there were ever any... <laughs> such thing I, can you be a moderate a moderate a, the chances were that as soon as you got any money or any any, any ammunition from many of these uh, uh, external sources um al-qaeda or rather Al uh, Al Al-Nusso would come and take them away from you and they would probably recruit you in the process as well uh, so you would move from being moderate to uh, to extremist because uh, you went to the people who would pay you the most money and that's pretty much what the whole thing boils down uh, to.
2: You mentioned the white helmets. Aren't they the group that won an Emmy award in for a documentary that they had staged of a chemical attack?
0: Uh, yes, uh, they are the, the the creature, the invention um, of a gentleman uh, very close to British intelligence, uh, the uh, James Le, Le Mesurier. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, he was getting his money from a uh, suppose one of these uh, uh, a government funded non non-govern, government non government organizations. <laughs> right. um, uh, the, the, the irony is intentional and uh, called Ark. Uh, they they, they, and they were channeling money to Missouri uh, from the British Foreign Commonwealth Office. Uh, uh, and later on, they would uh, also take money from, from, the, from the Dutch and from the United, we're talking about many, many millions of dollars. Uh, the idea uh, was to be spe- seen to be supporting a group that would act like the Red Cross, I suppose, of uh, a group of first responders Syria already had a perfectly well-functioning Red Cross, incidentally, um, and the White Helmets pretended uh, to take over its uh, its role in those areas that were controlled by jihadists. Um, given the nature of uh, Syria during these years, it would not have been possible for the White Helmets to have operated unless they operated hand in hand with with the jihadist groups that control the areas in which we find which we find the White the White Helmets. So essentially the White Helmets are, is a very interesting uh, evolution of government propaganda in the uh, regime change uh, era uh, in which we still live, uh, looking, thinking about Kazakhstan. Um, And uh, it it, it does involve the setting up by state agencies such as the British Foreign and Commonwealth Office of numerous uh, so-called non-government organizations. Uh, that are contracted very specifically uh, to undertake certain certain functions. And very often uh, in the context of Syria, these functions uh, included the development of public relations of uh, support to to jihadist groups. So that the information that we were getting about Syria was coming from jihadist uh, groups uh, who are being trained in public relations uh, Edward Bernays used to call that propaganda, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Calling uh, today. This information, <laughs> this information was being fed uh, back to uh, to Western media as though these are really, really credible sources. Uh, like, like for example, the Syrian uh, obser- uh, the Syrian Observatory. Uh, I'm not remembering the, the the full title. It's another British-based uh, propaganda operation that specialises in covering news and information from jihadi. Uh, control parts of uh, Syria. And the, the Western media uh, g- got into the habit of just citing the Syrian observatory. So it was a totally normal and unreasonable. It was just like Reuters Associated Press. <laughs> yeah, um, it was basically just one man, one man in Coventry in the center of England, in, in the center of uh, of of, of, of of England, who had a jihadist flag on the on the page on his on the on the main page of his of his website.
2: Yeah, you know and it comes full circle too because I believe that White Helmets documentary was exclusive on Netflix. They might have even had a hand in, in producing it. And Netflix was founded by Edward Bernays' nephew. He's one of the co-creators of it, and it's definitely a propaganda box.
1: So. When you look into like the White Helmets and that narrative and the origin of the conflict in Syria, do you um, find yourself looking into the kind of um, much longer term thing? I've read stuff. I don't know how to verify this, but that the Muslim Brotherhood was infiltrated by British intelligence in like the 30s. And I know Nasser said that in Egypt, and then um, I've seen... Uh, like the Balfour Declaration was there to establish the way they wanted the map of the Middle East to go. And then I saw something by, I think, Bernard Lewis or Samuel um, Huntington. I can't remember, but it was basically how that wasn't working anymore and what they wanted to do. Because then then places like Syria were able to stitch together like um secular uh countries where they could get along and that was actually a problem so if you look at who they take out they only take out the secular leaders yeah. and um and then the, you saw Condoleezza rice had a map right. of the new middle east like this is uh, you know within our right to do but do you ever get kind of dragged into that kind of rabbit hole of there is um a multi-generational plan there is more power at the top than you think because we can look at the little stuff and we can look at the evolution of these things but it does seem to kind of always trace back to you know them controlling the world them meaning like the british empire with the american as a satellite or vice versa however people think about it but you know how deep do you go uh,
0: you're right um I, I do agree agree with you that there are much longer term games being played here. Uh, we used to think of these games for many decades uh, during my life. I'm sure during your life as well, Monica and Brad. Uh, we used to think of of the of these games fundamentally having to do with a uh, with a with a battle uh, of ideas between those who believed in the value and uh, 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 of private property and of uh, private wealth accumulation uh, as against those who believed in, sta- in state guided or state regulated capital accumulation uh, for the benefit of of all of the of all of the people and um, uh, that seemed to be epitomized by the, conf- the Cold the War conflict between the Soviet Union and uh, uh, and the western world led by the united states and uh, secondarily by, by by the nato powers uh even even during the cold war there were some people who suspected nah it's actually even less agreeable than that uh, or more disagreeable than that it, it what it what it really is about uh is about the struggle to steal the wealth of the, of, of the southern nations, and to some extent, I think there is some merit in that point of view. In some, to some degree, I think we can see that there yeah, there was a competition going on between the United States and the Soviet Union to access the wealth uh, of the southern Hemisphere, what we what we can loosely uh, call the southern hemisphere, or if you will, uh, the 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 uh, de- developing world. Uh, and yeah, so I think. That, my, for myself, I, I don't think it's just one thing. I think, it, I think there are several things probably going on here. Uh, there always are. There always some kind of um, uh, other ideologies or religious beliefs and so on that begin to enter into the picture. Because when powerful people uh, subscribe to what may be actually quite silly ideas, nonetheless they use their power to push the interests of the of the silly ideas that they may that they may have. Um, but yeah, I think when it when it comes back to uh, Monica, uh, so we saw that the United States apparently won uh, the Cold War. Uh, the Soviet Union, as you very well know, uh, collapsed, and uh, we now have in its place uh, Russia, the Russian Federation, the countries of the former uh, Soviet Union. So therefore, you would have thought, wouldn't you, that if the if the if, if the Cold War was a serious enterprise, then it would kind of it, it should have come to an end, shouldn't it? in uh in 1990 and uh, and 1991 but no apparently not it didn't come to an end uh, we had a quite a friendly sort of buffoon in uh russia by name of boris yeltsin <laughs> yes. who looked after our interests uh, for the first few years of the of the new russia um uh, to the, to the catastrophic Um, dismay of millions and millions of Russians uh, whose lives came to a much earlier end uh, as a result of poverty and uh, desperation and uh, disorganization that resulted from uh, the efforts, uh, I have to admit, it's inspired and started by uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, as a man I have some sympathy for, but uh, he and Boris Yeltsin, I think, are guilty of trying to push through this incredible radical transformation from a from a collective economic system to uh, to 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 a fully capitalist system, they tried to do what should have taken half a half a century. They tried to push it through in just a few years, and the results were totally catastrophic. Uh, they was the country was saved to some considerable extent uh, by Vladimir Putin. Um, I, I don't like to. <laughs> um, uh, 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 to, 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 to praise any particular leader. But the, the, the reality is uh, that he, he just is a lot smarter than any other Western leader that we've seen in the last 100 years or so. Um, and that, that's you know, he, was, he was born that way, probably. Uh, 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 but yeah, I, I think I'll just... Monica, you want to ask yeah. me a question? Does he point?
1: not... Does he do you think I've got a twofold question about this? Do yeah, you think that he answers to <coughs> um, the globalists, the international bankers as much as anybody else does? Because i that's where my my yeah. instinct about power in the world right. today starts to yeah. get hard to yeah. grasp.
0: Uh, right. Well, how, well, how, 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 how interesting. Uh, if, if that was the case, then we could also. I think. Here's here one response. One response is, well, if that's the case, um, that would be kind of good news, because that means that all the capitalist nations could get together around a table, which would include China, because China, taught, in terms of purposes, is now a capitalist uh, system that's kind of uh, governed by a communist party. Uh, so we could all sit around the table, and we kind of you know, uh, trash this out, and um, decide who's going to take what from the, uh, from the pie, and who's going to do what uh, to help the pie to uh, still to expand if such a thing is indeed uh, possible. But I don't think that is it. I think United States uh, aggression uh, against Russia goes way beyond uh, shared uh, notions of shared capitalist interest, because, and it certainly goes way beyond uh, any, uh, anything resembling uh, ideology at this point other than the ideology of neo even even the ideology of neo, uh, that, that's not enough uh, for, for america america doesn't care about neoliberalism it doesn't care about want it doesn't want a neoliberal world it wants a world in which the, the most powerful people who control the american system get the wealth of the don't
1: world you think to a use is shoulder to shoulder Oh, America absolutely! On that, okay. oh, I feel oh, like they're yes. a continuum. <laughs> I
0: just... Yes, I, I Yes, yeah. I, I, I regard uh, Great Britain as uh, America's poodle. Um, oh, see, I it, think know, it's, it's the other way, way around. Well, I know. I
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think we're I... their pit bull.
0: <laughs> I, I've heard they that might argue. be our
1: poodle, uh... but if it is the other way around, we're their <laughs> pit bull.
2: All these letters from it from the uh, the Wellington House back prior to world war one before world war two of the intelligence officers propagandists that they sent around the world writing back to i think it was lord northcliffe about how gullible the american people are and so you just put the the intellects around a lord or a duke and they'll do anything the lord or duke says and they're just filtering their information um from britain over here i always found that interesting and how, are you familiar yeah. with a group called
0: new knowledge no i'm i don't think i am so Please uh, enlighten me, Brett.
2: New Knowledge is a group. They are now called Yonder because they changed their name, as a lot of these groups often do, that was funded by Reed Hoffman, who is a, I believe he founded LinkedIn. Is that yeah. correct, Monica? Oh, and okay. he's a, a big donor for the Democrat Party. I think he's a billionaire. If he's not, he's close. Damn. And he funded this project where they did an experiment and this was reported in New York Times on like, I think called a Saturday, it an experiment, like six in the morning when, yeah. you know, they put it when nobody looks at it. Yeah. Where they created a bunch of Facebook pages where they pretended to be Russian and they created a bunch of Russian bots, 10,000
1: Twitter accounts. Yeah. Right.
2: And, and they actually got kicked off of Facebook for yes. propagating Russian disinformation, but it ch- it Changed yeah.
1: the outcome of the Senate. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 They were. Yeah. The hardest evidence that they ever had uh, of that
0: narrative. Russian
1: bots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the and only it was Russian bots is the people off,
2: propagating right. the narrative.
0: Right. The, the, yes, uh, I, I do. I recall that, and um, it, it prompts me then to say, although I find fascinating the, the, these are these issues and arguments just having with Monica uh, about uh, globalists and about uh, who controls what is it is it the United States, is it Britain, whatever. Uh, th- those are fascinating, but I've got very little evidentiary material uh, to put into that level of... of, of de- I, I don't, I'm don't. i not trying to say that, that that's not important. It's, it's extremely important, but I've got very little evidentiary information to feed into it myself. But where I think uh, I've got a great deal more um, evidentiary certainty uh, is in the miserable uh, narrative of Russiagate that... Um, Totally monopolized our uh, news media here in <laughs> yeah. the United yes, States. Yes, I think oh, I what, have a, that it?
2: book. You what? wrote a book on that. I should say one thing: these people I, I didn't,
0: I, I did. wrote the Senate yes.
2: Intelligence Report on yeah. Russian disinformation. This group, New
1: Knowledge, did yeah. Yeah. the bots. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Oh yes, yeah. well, so you're an expert th- on th-
0: Yeah. Well, I, uh, I, I think it is now beyond. Uh, it is beyond dispute. It's beyond reasonable dispute. Uh, that that Russiagate is a total hoax. And I I called it a big lie.
1: Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, a real
0: one. (laughs) (laughs) A a real big lie. Uh, And I would like to talk about the concept of big lie in relation not just to Russiagate, but also a lot of the other big lies uh, that we've been subjected to over the last couple of decades, in particular, well, not in particular, but st- well, I will start with the reason why we invaded Afghanistan and move into the, um, the lie about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and so on. But let's go back to Russia again. So, isn't it extraordinary that uh, mainstream media, all of these well paid, yeah, pretty well paid uh, journalists, and very well paid in the case of uh, the major news networks, uh, including uh, Rachel Mellows, uh, all uh, uh, boring us to death uh, with lies and misinformation <laughs> about this so-called phenomenon of uh, Russiagate, when they could have been talking about issues of climate change, of corporate corruption, uh, of the gross uh, inequality of wealth in the uh, United States, the continuing pathetic uh, insufficiency of our of our health system, etc., etc., etc. The Democratic Party, above all, should have been talking about these things in place uh, of the city uh, idiotic infantile. RussiaGate hoax. Which where does it come from? Well, we now know uh, it comes from the hey the DNC the Demo- the the, uh, the Democratic Party uh, campaign for Hillary Clinton's uh, presidency back in uh, two thousand and sixteen. They made it up. How do they make it up? <laughs> they uh, recruit. They they recruited a, a firm of attor- or, uh, attorneys, um, Perkins Coie. Uh, uh, Perkins Coie then recruit. Uh, on behalf of the Democratic Party, two sources of uh, misinformation. One is the uh, Steele report uh, through Fusion GPS, which contracted uh, Steele, uh, Christopher Steele's uh, Orbis. Uh, kind of Steele, by the way, is a, you, you know, is a MI6 or former MI6 agency, a, a agent yeah. who was stationed in Moscow uh, for some years for, uh, for the MI6. And he comes up with the, uh, the, the, the Steele dossier, which is opposition research. This is yes uh, so-called research that is paid for. There's nothing uh, by the Democratic me Party to that to, Trump, to embarrass. Yeah. There you go.
1: But it was not even so, real because uh, Donald Trump was a germophobe and a cheapskate, and there's no way he's hiring prostitutes to pee on him. They had to have come up with a better narrative if it was true. That's just was they. Lo- I'm from New York. That's not his style.
2: He was on a mattress. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs>
1: Whatever. But, but this is the
0: clev- this is the clever thing about this lie is that uh, uh, those who choose, and relatively few chose in good time, to dismantle the lie, they then put themselves in the uh, in, uh, in the position of being seen to be perceived to be uh, pro-Trump, to be perceived to be uh, Trump supporters, but instead of Tackling Trump on his own terms, which would have been so incredibly easy uh, for intelligent people, so to do, uh, the DNC decides, no, we're going to bl- we're going to say that Trump uh, is a, is in effect a uh, is is a Russian agent. How stupid and how unbelievable! And ultimately, uh, yeah, of course, it, it rebounds. It it, t- it totally demolishes whatever credibility.
1: Do you think the, they were stupid, uh, the, uh, or do you think the they a, they wanted to lose for some reason?
0: I, well, no way. We, we, I don't, well, I don't want to go down there. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, I'm not right. saying it's impossible. That's speculative. I, 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 think stupidity, I think stupidity and arrogance. Arrogance is probably... they. And we, we know that when um, the DNC went to Perkins Coy and went to Steele, and Steele himself has said this in court, he said, well, uh, the, the thing that they wanted from me mainly was evidence that they could then use uh, to explain should it come to this, to explain the uh, Hillary Clinton's failure. Already, months, in, months before the election itself, Steele yeah. is being contracted by the DNC attorneys to come up with a narrative that will help uh, get the Democratic Party off the hook in the event that Hillary Clinton loses the election. And of course, we also know that... Uh, uh, the supposed with respect to the supposed uh, hacking um, of DNC emails. Uh, the main thing that comes out of that is the exposure that the DNC has actually favored um, Hillary Clinton over uh, over Bernard Saunders as the next major uh, candidate for uh, the next major runner for the uh, Democratic candidate for the presidency. And um, the, uh, the the hacking of the emails exposes that, and it exposes it uh, sh- a few weeks before um, uh, the, uh, the the, the, the uh, what do we call that, jamboree where the party decides the on which candidate is going to the support. Convention. Yeah. Thank Balloons, you. The convention. Yeah. Uh, just a few weeks before the convention, uh, uh, Hillary Clinton is has to deal with the fact of the hacking, with the fact of this disclosure that ultimately the DNC is simply corrupt uh, and it is doing it all it can uh, to keep out of office someone who is moderately, very, very moderately, um, mildly
1: uh, <laughs> socialist,
0: uh, as opposed to being an out and out extreme corporate capitalist. And um, so, so, so that's so in evidence. Comes up, comes up with it. Well, yeah, let's just blame, let's just blame the, the, the Russians. Why not? Uh, but so you have all
1: that in evidence. That's what's in your book. So I can start speculating, no one would be that stupid, it, but you it, have evidence well, uh, that Monica, at the very right. least they are that stupid.
0: Monica, right, I think um, yeah. I should, uh, I, I, no, I, I should just point out that my book uh, came out in towards the end of 2019. Uh, it actually came out in advance of the Mueller report. I was terrified that the Mueller report would make a, <laughs> a huge difference yeah. uh, to the conclusions that I, I reach in my book. But actually, no, the you Mueller have read report, the Mueller report, right? Nothing. I it I was so empty.
1: The footnotes and, yes. were full of mainstream media articles and FBI 302 reports, which have no claim yes. even to validity. Right. It was not. Right. Well, right. we're coming up against Let him finish. that. I have one more question. Afterwards. Okay. I'm go sorry. On.
2: One quick no, follow up because it's connected to something that you were talking about earlier with uh, the UK and America. So Christopher Steele's mentor, uh, Sir Andrew Wood, He's a member of the Royal Institute (laughs) of International Affairs (laughs) and the (laughs) Chatham House. And there was a clip of him from 2015 that we played on on air a number of times where he's introduced before one of these panel discussions. And while the woman is introducing him, he cracks a joke from sitting down over there. He says, I like to break up countries. And everybody has a good laugh over him (laughs) saying he likes to break up countries. And it seems like his job, from what I You know, looked at his career and that he has kind of been basically the um, how do we get rid of Putin or make him submit to the international order guy. And he is the one who alerted John McCain at the Halifax Security Conference to the existence of Steele and the dossier. I'm wondering if there is a little bit of him doing his job trying to demonize Russia involved
0: in all of this. Right. There's a great deal uh, of meddling about by intelligence agencies, uh, British, American, and Australian, uh, not Russian, uh, in uh, the whole r- r- gay saga. And this, of course, uh, amongst those people who have exposed these issues very, very confidently is Aaron Maté. Uh, but I'd also like to make quick reference to the work of a colleague of mine, Richard Sakwa. He is a expert in russian affairs at the university of canterbury in the united kingdom and he's just produced a book called deception which i think i will say is the most up-to-date and most comprehensive account um of the surrey uh, narrative of uh, Russiagate, and it goes into many of these things about the, the role of the intelligence uh, agencies and, uh, and, and, and Wood and, uh, and, and others, and it was Wood who apparently alerted, as you say, John McCain. He also had a role in uh, bringing the FBI's attention uh, to, to this, this emerging or, or, or emergent imbroglio of issues uh, that would involve various accusations against Russia, which probably Russia, I'm not saying that Russia is stupid or that Russian intelligence agencies are not clever and smart and devious and sometimes wicked. I'm sure they are otherwise, why would you have them there in the first place? But, you know, the, the evidence simply doesn't support uh, the argument that the uh, that, that, that Russia was behind the, the, the so-called hacking. Many people like Ray McGovern um, quite, uh, uh, quite uh, argue, I think, uh, very convincingly that it wasn't actually wasn't a hack it was actually it was a leak yeah. it was an ins- insider leak Bill Binney says uh, that. and i and i also think that the the whole notion that russia in some way sought to corrupt the internet with, with 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 bots and so on uh to help uh the cause of trump in the 2016 election is when you put it all together it's just totally idiotic uh, uh, when you compare the volume of any kind of um, uh, emails or messages or internet messages or advertisements that were emanating from the internet research agency in st petersburg or from russia more generally it is a it's minute as a minuscule significance when you compare it to the total volume of social media traffic during this period and and, and and none of this has remotely the same kind of impact anyway on the american psyche as uh the extreme Right-wing media, such as Fox News, I think if you want to blame anything for it, um, uh, (laughs) Fox is a far more compelling reason why uh, people would have been misinformed during 2016 than Russian bots and trolls. I have
1: one final question, if you don't mind, it'll take us one extra minute. I think uh, in your description of how media has changed over time, I also see the seeds, but not quite as quickly of academia having the same pattern. And I just wonder, I was amazed that you're still working, that you're still a right. professor emeritus of a journalism right. department. And I am just amazed by that. Yeah. I feel like we're, that that era is coming to an end. Do you yes. see that?
0: Yeah, uh, yes, I do. I, one of my colleagues, a propaganda expert, um, an immensely intelligent guy, has written, done incredibly important research. David Miller, uh, the University of Bristol in the UK, uh, the University of Brittle, uh, uh, Bristol on totally uh, city charges, which uh, uh, they, they appointed a, a, a QC to investigate cha- charges of uh, anti. Uh, and anti Jewish sentiments that he was supposed to have expressed to a student uh, in a class at Bristol University. Uh, and you, you had a top uh, attorney looking at this and coming to the conclusion that uh, nope, there's no there's no illegality here. Uh, there's no bias, there's no um, um, racism here or anything else of that kind. And yet the university decides to dismiss him uh, anyway. And uh, very likely because of the impact, the power of APAC. Uh, in uh, in Great Britain as it has here in the in the United States, but you know you go back to the wonderful disclosures of CIA activity back in the 1970s. We had three uh, congressional uh, committees during the 1970s. One one was the uh, the the, uh, the Pike uh, committee, and they were looking at the, uh, amongst other things, uh, they were disclosing the extent to which the media uh, universe uh, had been penetrated and exploited by. The uh, CIA, both at home and uh, and overseas, but uh, so that in itself, of course, is highly significant. whole kind of operation, Mockingbird uh, syndrome? It, it is highly significant and, and, and important. But you know, people uh, only too easily seem to have forgotten that another category um, of uh, professional that had been deeply corrupted and impenetrated and exploited and expropriated by the by the, by the CIA was academe, uh, and, and and of course one if, if, if your business is to shape the information environment so that uh, the citizen, citizenry will uh, will support uh, whatever it is however dark and dirty uh, it is uh, you want them to believe that it's being done for their best interests the best of all possible reasons uh, before God if that's what you if that's what you're trying to achieve then of course, you go to those people who, uh, who control the, um, who are the gatekeepers of what constitutes legitimate knowledge or understanding. Mm. And that's not mm. only journalists, of course, it is also uh, mm. the academic profession. It is also the teaching profession and it's probably also the, uh, the, the, the religious profession as well and i dare say we think long enough we can come up with one or two other categories that would be highly attractive uh, to an organization like the uh, like the cia so these are indeed dangerous times uh and uh, uh yes truth seekers are pitted against people who are corrupt or stupid uh, or silly and um who is going to win we don't know but you know who i'm rooting
1: yes well let's all root for truth and i really appreciate that distinction of the media being the information but academia being the gatekeeper of what counts as knowledge that's a very that's a profound little mind vitamin that i'm going to take with me right now and with great great thanks for your time which is so valuable thank Thank you so much professor oliver boyd barrett
0: thank you monica thank you brad thank you very much bye goodbye bye-bye